Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Josh Gilbert. Josh, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Great to be here, Kevin. So, Josh, uh, we've had a great, great little chat offline before we hit the big red record button. But uh, so it's interesting. But you know, my family and I lived in the UK for gosh, twelve years, and so it was, it was like twenty minutes south of where Josh's office is in London. But Josh, if if you and I met at a networking event in the beautiful city of London. How would you introduce yourself to me? I would introduce myself as Josh, the CEO at Sust Global. Um, I, I have a bio that I send out actually. So when, when I'm at speaking events, right, it says, Josh, he's done this, he's been there. Um, and at the end of it, I always put, um, Josh wishes he had more time to play music and Dungeons and Dragons. So they're the two <laughs> things outside of work that like, I imagine that I still get to play both of these things and I don't anymore. So uh, it depends what kind of setting and I'd maybe go between the important, the important business bits and the, the more silly bits. So give me the elevator pitch of what is Sust Global? That's S-U-S-T global.com, correct? Correct, yes. So at Sust, Go Sust Global, we provide climate analytics and APIs. So we basically turn all of the complexity of climate science uh, into business intelligence. So that's, you know, you can imagine climate risks, like risk of wildfire, risk of flooding, risk of sea level rise, uh, and the GHG emissions output from like, uh, you know, from assets, like tangible assets, locations, properties, portfolios. Um, and we provide this analytics via these APIs to large corporates, uh, you know, blue chip investors, um, like global financial data providers, and enable them to basically build cool stuff uh, on top of this foundational climate data layer. So is this related to uh, green certifications? Is this related to uh, just impact? What What is the kind of the arena or is it all the above? I mean, it's definitely a niche within that, right? Like I, I talk to people a lot about how we're entering the climate economy. You know, like everything will be touched by climate change, unfortunately, uh, but also, you know, climate will become something that's really integral to every business practice, all of our, you know, awareness at home. Um, but the progress is not evenly distributed. And if we look at this climate economy and compare it to like the web economy kind of 20 years ago, we're kind of in the pets.com moment of the climate mm. economy. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of BS. There's a lot of like kind of just, uh, just, you know, even ESG, which is environment, social and governance, which, you know, is kind of the new, the new kind of darling on, on Wall Street. Like they're saying something like a third of all assets under management are going to be ESG. But these three things are entirely different, right? Like environment is very different to social, it's very different to governance. Right. And like, we really need to have better validation of uh, what we mean when we say green, what we mean when we say climate resilient, or you know, what we mean when we say net zero, right? Everyone wants to get to net zero. So we use satellite data, we use machine learning, we use global climate models, and we effectively provide an objective source of truth to make sure that we understand the risks that are coming towards us. And we also understand the impacts that we have on the planet through our emissions. 
So I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, kind of the, the story. This, this is like the founder's, you know, timeline. So walk me through your A-levels to the is it School of Arts and Sciences that, that you went to University of London. Is that what SOAS stands for? SOAS stands for the School of Oriental and African Studies, uh, oh, which is okay. a department within the University of London. See, I changed um, your whole degree program. I, I had you in the arts and sciences. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, interestingly, SOAS is kind of the uh, the kind of zany kind of uh, uh, child in the kind of University of London. So <laughs> when I when I was there, you know, it's great because there's loads of really passionate people. Obviously, you know, they, I, I so I did uh, international development and economics. So we looked at like you know the economics of Africa. I wrote my um, dissertation on like price volatility in Zambian copper markets, like super kind of nerdy kind of economics based stuff. But from that lens of kind of developmental progress, uh, an amazing university, kind of uh, very passionate people. They're famous students. They're famous for basically like um, uh, kind of protesting about anything. So, uh, you know, constantly outside protesting to people, constantly kind of, uh, you know, making sure that um, the university is being held to account and that, you know, the kind of anything from really important stuff like the wages of cleaners at the university, right? Like which which 18 to 21 year olds go out and like kind of protest that kind of stuff. Like it's kind of really inspiring. Um, but through that process, you know, I failed stats a couple of times, which was uh, a challenge because I did come from a kind of more arts background. Uh, so I had to do a lot of catching up, um, but it really opened my eyes to uh, some of the innovations that were coming in that could drive society forward. So I kind of, uh, I kind of became obsessed with off-grid solar as one of my first entry points, right? Like kind of how do you leapfrog technologies in somewhere like Africa, kind of have, uh, you know, solar kind of based renewable power sources Unlimited sunshine. where you don't have a yeah. grid. Yeah, yeah a lot of sunshine. Um, yeah, so I finished my degree and funnily enough, right, I found one of my old course books the other day and I'd written, it might, it might have been a diary or a course book, some, some, some pad that I dug out from my time there. And I literally wrote in this pad, uh, my, my life plan for the next five years, right? And it was get two years of experience in a job and then start a startup that'll change the world. And uh, I saw it, it was actually three years experience rather than two, but I was like, ah, like that stuff works. So um, pretty prophetic. That was cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, especially in England, right? There's a lot of negativity on some of the, uh, you know, the kind of believe, achieve, succeed, mm, kind of yeah. the, the mantras kind of stuff. In the US, it's not more prevalent. Like, you know, before I was at SOAS, you know, I lived in Philadelphia for four years growing up. So I kind of feel like I grew up in London and in Philly, kind of have this shared kind of this split between you know, the gritty streets <laughs> of London and the gritty streets of Philly, you know, made me quite gritty uh, in the end. But, um, but, you know, I really believe a lot in that kind of, mindset and you know setting your mind to something like thinking like how do i get to that place um so my interest in solar and technology led me to work at a place called clean tech group uh, as a data as a data analyst i became mm -hmm. a lead data analyst there basically looking at like new technologies that were climate and clean tech focused how you know corporates and finances and all of these different firms could use this new data uh and i became pretty much obsessed with uh satellite and geospatial data you know saying look at all of these new sources of insights coming online, um, all of these new ways to capture information on what's happening on, on planet Earth. And like, 
everything I'd done to that point was consulting based in my career. And I was like, hang on, tech can mean we can do this at scale. We can not just build like venturable businesses, but we can create the type of impact that we really want to drive at scale instead of doing this one to one to one. So I basically became a super fan of uh, satellite and geospatial data. I wasn't a technical expert by any means. I just had my kind of ropey understanding of statistics and, and kind of data analytics. Uh, but I founded Sust Global and it was just a dormant company. It was, I was just like, I want to do this. This is a cool name. This is what I want to do. This is the area. Um, but I don't really know how I'm going to get there yet. Um, and I wrote a lot of research, a lot of papers on, on the potential for geospatial and satellite data. Um, I was obviously applying that in my role in, in climate and clean tech. And a US-based startup called Orbital Insight, you know, they're Sequoia-backed, you know, I think they've raised the best part of 50 or 100 million now. Um, you know, NASA, ex-NASA CEO founder, super, super smart people. Uh, they picked up some of my research and they said, okay, we're launching this new product line. Um, do you want to kind of come in on a consulting project and help us launch uh, this upcoming product, kind of bringing some of these insights? So I flew over to Mountain View, you know, met with the team there, worked with them, still working at Cleantech Group as a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Silicon Valley, uh, as, as an outsider, as a UK-based person, never been to California, it's where dreams are made. And uh, it's where dreams were made. I met my co-founder on a panel on satellite geospatial data, how it can drive sustainability. Uh, a guy called Gopal Erinjiparath. Um, his his background, you know, he came he came from Kerala originally. He he moved to the United States for college. Um, you know, basically when I met him, he was the head of analytics and insights at this another big startup called Planet Labs. I kind of have this the largest ever commercial satellite uh, kind of constellation in the history of mankind. So they're mm. monitoring everything all of the time. He was leading up their analytics function. And we kind of hit it off. We started writing a couple of papers together ourselves. It's very much like starting out a, uh, like meeting a founder and getting to the stage where you start a company together. It's weirdly like uh, kind of dating someone at the start of a relationship. You, you are not <laughs> the first person that said that. <laughs> yeah yeah you know there's Absolutely this kind of flirting true. stage you, you have work wife saying, and home oh, actually, wife actually there's something there <laughs> yeah. there's something there's something there you haven't quite crossed the line then you kind of ask each other out you're like hey we could do this um so we said hey we could do this i said it just so happens i've got this dormant company waiting for us to get going um and you know we we, we got going uh you know I, i'm happy to jump into a little bit more about kind of the journey since then but that's that's the origin that's the origin story i guess that kicked it all off so I've got I've got a question here that I've, I've got to chase. This is one of those rabbits that that uh, it's interesting to hear this, you know, this dating analogy that you you know you brought up because it is so true. And I mean, even I mean, some major unicorns, you know, have gone through this dating relationship to find their co-founders. But so so often when that dating relationship comes together, and one person has kind of had the initial idea. And the other person has a, a, a very needed skill set, you know, to kind of piggyback, so to speak, on this and, and make it make it scale. How do you what was the arrival at? How do we split the shares? How do we because that seems to be such a sticking point, because so often the person who had the original idea wants to kind of maintain at least 51 percent, you know, of this or 60 percent. And and it, it seems to be a rub so often with the co-founder that says, actually, you can't do this without me. So we're 50 50. So how did you how did you navigate that relationship? Um, so before I started Sust, 
I, uh, I spoke to a couple of friends of my dad's who had tried startups, failed startups, uh, not, not even startups, just, you know, like new ideas, new companies, whatever. Some, some of them become successful, but like one of the best pieces of advice or one of the most prominent pieces of advice I had was never go 50-50 with your co-founder. It will always lead to pain and struggle mm. down the road. Um, and I ignored it completely. <laughs> We are, as one does. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, as as a founder, you have to have a certain level of like a, a kind of contrarian within mm, you, right? So sure. um, we we recognized, or rather, I guess I guess I recognized, but we both recognized that we needed each other. Um, and I, I also recognized, I was like, look, this is this is a marathon, not a sprint, uh, and it's binary. You either succeed or you don't. Yep. Um, yep. It's a win-win so or a lose-lose. Exactly. Yeah, we we decided to to you know share, uh, split down the middle, and you know even though I'm the CEO, Gopal is the CTO uh, and, and head of products, you know, kind of leading up the product and tech side, we kind of tackle things pretty collaboratively, full mm -hmm. stop. And the great thing is, is splitting the test. We're both we're both as invested as each other. Mm -hmm. um, it's meant that. One of us may have the kind of deciding vote on any specific topic based on right. our expertise or our position. Yep. But um, in my experience, it's really created that kind of kinship and togetherness that has seen us through the darkest days, you know, where at any point in a founder's journey, there's everybody has the war story where you're like, wow, that was that was the moment. And that there's probably brutal. more than one. Yeah. You know, we have, yeah, we have them along the way. And our relationship as co-founders is just the most important thing full stop you know like if this works out we'll go on and probably do something else together if this doesn't work out we could well go on and do something together so i think investing in that bond um has been one of the most important things you know and uh, as, as much as there's lots of technical challenges there's lots of growth challenges there's lots of team building challenges having that trust between you uh, not just as co-founders as a team it's kind of I, i'm realizing that it's just the most important thing i mean it's interesting i had a, a friend of mine who has a tech startup in, in st louis missouri and uh he was we were talking about this very issue about you know divided shares and and he said he said you realize that jeff bezos doesn't own 51 percent of amazon right <laughs> he said he owns about nine percent of amazon but he has the controlling you know nine percent of amazon so it is, it's interesting that how that conversation is, is a kind of a front end conversation. And then as over time, it, it just works out to a completely different, different scenario. But um, I, I love the, the way that you've approached that. And it's, you know, the, what was the driving factor? The driving factor was, you know, we, we need each other to succeed. And we both realize that. And we, we will defer in the other's area of expertise. You know, what a, what a great, you know, relationship that, uh, you know, business relationship that you've, you've created there. So when do, when exactly did Sus Global begin? Uh, well, the company was founded in September, 2018. I left to go full-time in September, 2019. Um, and that's post NASA call. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Post, post, um, post work there. And then, yeah, I would say it really started kicking off. Um, you know, Gopal joined kind of 
uh, he'd, he'd been providing advice and advising, kind of saying, look, we should probably do this. Let's let's support each other. And, and he, he joined soon after that. So early 2020 was really kind of the, the proper leap, jump, off, jump off point of no return point for both of us. So early 2020 to say April 2022, what's what's been that kind of upward right hockey stick growth that you've experienced? So I'd like, how big is the team now? You know, yeah. major projects you've worked on, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing is when you first start, you put CEO on your LinkedIn and you have this impressive job title and you're CEO of nothing and you're doing everything. Still carrying out right? the rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You haven't got, you haven't got anybody to boss around. It's just you. Um, so, you know, I had moved back in with my mom and dad, which was interesting as a 30 year old uh, grown up. Turns out I like them a lot more than I did when I was 15 and they're actually great. Um, but it meant we, yeah, yeah. We, it meant we could keep the burn rate really low and uh, you know, then lockdown happened kind of the first COVID wave. And it meant that working from home was a really amazing opportunity, right? And I just had hundreds of calls with prospective customers, you know, mm. literally hammering away on, on, on LinkedIn again, just kind of saying like, hey, I'm a, I'm a CEO, I've just done this thing, can I have a chat with you? Um, and basically selling them on a product that didn't exist, right? Being like, we're developing this thing, is it something you'd be interested in? Just to try and get that feedback on what they care about and what they don't care about. Um, heard a lot of really interesting things. Um, we ended up, uh, you know, one of our first big breaks, um, and, and, and actually I'd be remiss to not mention as well. We applied to a couple of accelerators. One of them said no, uh, and I was devastated. I was like, this is the end, we're done for. Um, what am I doing here? Like, I remember I shed a little tear. I was like, I can't believe it. This is outrageous. And then you look back and you're like, oh, they're just many, one of many speed bumps. Yep. Right? But um, we got funding from the European Space Agency to kind of build out um, uh, some of our capabilities using their sensors and satellites to, to monitor GHG emissions. Um, and kind of we got our first little bit of funding in from that. We got to hire a couple of interns. Uh, we then kind of converted some of these early interested parties into paying POCs, mm -hmm. proof of concepts uh, with, with, with the startup. Um, and we kept on going, you know, and then I think we really spent about a year kind of just working on the early MVP. Uh, you know, Kapal was coding it. I was finding the customer insights, having customer conversations, launched the MVP kind of summer 2021, um, closed our first couple of um, you know, high profile engagements, got our first round of real equity investment um, in kind of mid 2021. We closed a seed round, $3.2 million. Um, and We've kind of been growing ever since then. You know, we're now up to about 10 customers. We're converting these POCs into ARR. We're now 17 people, which seems uh, wild. You know, we're split. Gopal lives in San Francisco. I live mm -hmm. in London. Uh, in COVID, that wasn't a problem. Now yep. it's, it's still not a problem, but you know, we've chosen to build uh, you know, remote in the US where they're mainly product and tech. Uh, the commercial team's mostly in London. Um, and yeah, we're kind of, we're now, um, you know, looking to raise the next round of funding, going to be growing you know, if all goes well to kind of 50, 60 people uh, by the end of you know, kind of mid 2023. So yeah, it's pedal to the metal, all systems go. I'm just imagine though, the value of the customer insights you had from those hundred LinkedIn calls, you know, I mean, just how that really shaped your MVP. I mean, that, that is, I mean, so often people, I think build the product and then they hope that it 
meets the need. But I mean, you you had real time data. You know, you had real feedback, real customer insights that said, "Hey, this is what we need. This is what we're looking for. This is the itch that you can scratch." You know, specifically, and then you decide is that is that does that fit in our niche or not? You know, does that is that in our wheelhouse? And and uh, I mean, just I I think that you your product is just infinitely better or would be infinitely better because of all those calls. Would you, would you yeah. affirm that? Yeah. And the process never stops, right? You kind of, um, right. there's a, there's an interesting tension in that, right? Cause there's like, is it like the Henry, Henry Ford quote, uh, uh, where it's like, um, uh, you know, if we asked customers what they wanted, they'd have told us they want a faster horse. Exactly. Um, I was thinking of that very quote when you said that. Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, and like, there's, there's no absolutes in venture and in tech, right? It's like in startups, there's, there's nuance in everything. But one of the things I was really lucky with is, you know, Kapow's a very experienced product lead and engineer. And he kept on saying to me, he was like, we're not going to invest money in building the MVP until we know that someone's going to buy it. Hmm. Um, and you know that led us to a point we still have to do iterations you know we're still kind of evolving sure. the, the, the opportunities change but that mentality you know I've heard it in other ways you know say wait wait until you see the whites in their eyes you know kind of just waiting till as long as possible because you only really get one shot at that first build um, just because resources are so scarce like the opportunity cost is very present um, you know, we're all, we're all going without salary at that point. Um, like, it really pays to just slow down and think and measure twice and cut once. Yeah. So I've, I've got an interesting question here, and then, then I want to kind of transition into our mentor moment. You know, mm. part of the part of the chat. But I um, I'm really curious. So you said you know you kind of alluded to the fact that you know as a Brit you're you're almost swimming upstream with this kind of entrepreneurial bent. Why do you think that that you that you were this you know the proverbial salmon that that's swimming upstream here? What 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 was in your DNA or or in in a life experience that happened that caused you to kind of you know step out of the queue? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, maybe part of it was moving around a bit when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I we moved to the U.S. when I was between nine and 14. Oh, that's a very, very impressionable time. Very impressionable time. Um, not as though I was, you know, never been to California until five years ago, right? Like, yeah. not as though I was exposed to the tech world, but I think traveling around the mentality, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the UK, you're there's there is it's very subtle, but there is definitely kind of this classism and there's very much like you know, you're told to become a lawyer or a doctor or you know a, a proper a proper job uh, mm -hmm. or a banker um you know, obviously the city of london's there um i think a lot of it comes from maybe, maybe it's from my parents as well you know my dad is very uh he's a very positive person which is again rare in the uk because we can often be a bit negative but you know like even today you know i say to him oh, i'm worried about this thing he's like this is you this is who you are you're you know you're not don't take the normal path, follow the path that, you know, you, you're compelled to take. Um, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of ego. There's a bit of narcissism. Like every, every founder believes you gotta that they can change it. the That's world. Right. Like that, it's just true. Um, but I think, I think there's a duality, right? To do it really well. Um, and I know this point doesn't deliberately answer your question, but it's like, 
you need to both have a level of ego, but also a level of self-awareness. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a hard balance to have, right? I think, because uh, on the one side, you can become a charlatan and kind of can probably raise lots of money, but then it all goes up in smoke. It's a couple of stories like that have happened recently in tech. Yeah. Uh, and if you are too introspective and self-reflective, then you never get past first base. So um, yeah, it's an interesting melting pot of things. Um, I guess as well, right? Like my, uh, my mom and dad, are, they're not religious in the classic sense, but they go to church. You know, they, with, with that kind of thing, there's a lot of like, and maybe it's the American thing because America is much more kind of um, spiritual in some ways than the UK, but like concepts like, destiny concepts like you know god's got a plan for you like all of these kind of things and i don't i didn't i haven't necessarily always bought into um the religiosity of it but like being having that mindset then makes you to some extent i think seek mm. um you know purpose and kind of lead an impactful life and you think about things in a different way like there's a, there's a great philosopher called Alain de botan right and he talks about like kind of church for non-believers or church for atheists or something like that, religion for atheists, I think that's the book. And I, th I think it's really interesting as well because you realize a lot of the things that, like the church and religion have done lots of terrible things, um, but also they've, you know, these kind of, uh, his, these things that come from our history and shape our history actually have really strong kind of societal Kind of glue and also kind of i think can help people think more altruistically more about the impact of your life think about things in a different way getting off like the hedonistic yeah, treadmill sure. so it's a melt it's a melting pot of lots of different things again there's nuance there's no one answer um but yeah, i reckon those kind of three or four things kind of push and pull you in certain ways and, and prod you into the person you are You're right so there's a steve jobs i think it's the commencement speech at stanford right he says you, it's only when you look backwards that you connect the dots mm -hmm. yep I, so I wasn't going to mention this, but but uh, I have this this personal theory about entrepreneurship and religion. So I look back at kind of the history of England about, I'm guessing, somewhere in the 1600s. Uh, so there was the, the time where the Church of England and there were the Puritans that wanted to, you know, refine the church from within. And then there was the separatists that said, we can't do that. We have to we have to go start something new. And the Puritans tended to stay in the UK and the separatists tended to go to new lands and many of them went to the US. And I think that that has kind of formed the American DNA of, you know, grabbing yourself by the bootstraps, starting something independently, you know, so I think there's a real parallel. It's inter interesting that you brought that up about, you know, just kind of the religion fiber, you know, and how that has crafted even societal DNA in so, in so many ways. So that's a that's just a and faith. big personal theory I have. Yeah, and like the concept of faith, right, is a very religious thing. But I look at it almost in the context of startups, right? It's like uh, like faith is the evidence of things unseen, yep. right? And like some people choose to believe in God, they choose to believe in kind of you know uh, you know Buddhism or Christianity or or, or Islam. Um, but like in startups, you kind of have to believe in things that don't exist yet. And you have to kind of, everyone will say to you, why? Like, I remember my friends, when I became an entrepreneur, they're like, why don't you just get a normal job? Like, this is, you know, why are you doing this? And it is this kind of compulsion and this kind of belief that that you're right and belief that there is this thing that you can come to. So yeah, it's a fascinating kind of 
a fascinating tangent that we could probably dive down for a very long time. But uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely there's definitely aspects of human nature, right, that kind of align with those kind of broader themes of um, you know faith and belief and you know pushing outside the box and breaking away from the kind of Puritan kind of uh, conservative mindset, small c conservative. No, for sure. And I, I've interviewed a, a number of Australian founders on, on Rising Tide, and I've, I see a lot of parallel between the American mindset and the Aussie mindset, you know, and I, I think they're, they're, you know, we're both, you know, we both are, are went and, and as, as my British friends would call us the renegade territories of the UK kingdom, you know, we, they went and, and started, I'm sure they're allowed uh, to say that anymore, started the <laughs> new things. That's right. So. Anyway, I, I want to really transition into the kind of my favorite part of the interview and that this is the, the mentor moment. And I, I just want like one or two really solid takeaways for our listeners that, you know, as they wrap up, they didn't listen to anything else during the interview. This, this is really what, what we need to hone in on and just say, you know, speaking to people that may be a little further behind you in the journey and the, the kind of the startup journey and founding things. And what are one or two real key nuggets that you wish you would have known when you started that you think would be game changers that boy, I wish if I'd have known this when I started, this would have really changed the, the playing field, so to speak? Yeah. Um, well, there are things I did right. And there are things that I would have learned. I think one of the things I did right is like a really, really boring, but important one, which is like, cover the downside and reduce your burn. Mm. You know, like, really make sure that you can put yourself through the pain and the suffering right and you know whether the storms yeah whether the storms you know maybe some people have dependents and you know i was i was a single man when i started my my startup journey which which was a help but lots of people have kids and they make it work and you know have families they make it work but i think really covering those kind of downsides is really important because it takes a lot longer than uh, you would always think it would. Um, I also think that nothing can prepare you for how brutal it is. <laughs> um, an, an analogy I use with it is like, it's kind of like, um, you know, like the MMA kind of cage fighting stuff that now has become really popular, where it's like, you look at those people, you're like, why would anybody want to lock themselves in an octagon and get punched in the face repeatedly? Um, and doing a startup's not dissimilar to that sometimes, right? Like, um, there's a lot of, you, there's a lot of pain and suffering involved and you get a kick out of it. That's what gets you going. And it's kind of, uh, there's definitely some type of, um, maybe it's masochism. I'm not sure exactly what the right Hedonistic word would be, masochism. but like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you've got to enjoy the pain, um, because it is tough and nothing can prepare you for it. Um, I think you're never going to be right. You're only going to be less wrong. Um, mm. I think that's a really powerful framing of like, <laughs> I say that to the team all the time. I say that to everybody, right? It's like the, the purpose here isn't to be right, isn't to have everything perfect. Like nothing can prepare you for it. So just do it because you're going to make so many mistakes and it's much better to make them early on than it is later on. Um, I love I think that. also a mentor... I think also a mentor moment would be like finding mentorship and network. Um, not just, not like classic, I am your mentor, you are my mentee, but like there's, 
there's lots of people that really admire people that have the guts and people that have the faith to you know go out and do the startup thing right there's a lot of people that maybe they've done it before maybe they wish they'd done it maybe they just recognize the brutality of it but like you i was always constantly amazed how many people wanted to help out like an example is mm. i reached out to uh, i did a search on linkedin for all of the um ex-employees of a startup in this space that's kind of like a v1 version of the company that, that they've since been acquired by one of the big data providers and i just reached out to him and i was like hey i know you were the coo at this place before um you know the guy was just great he said yeah happy to have a call like you know have a chat he gave me some advice um 12 months later he, he wrapped up his startup project and he said uh hey josh i love i love the call i love the fact that you just reached out to me i'm looking for a new coo role how about i come and work with sus so now our coo is the former COO, one of these kind of wow, you know, pioneers in the space, and it just came from reaching out to people because, mm -hmm. like, either either they've done it before or they admire it, and like, people want to help. A lot of people want to help. Yeah. A lot of people also want to shoot you down. Mostly your friends when they see you getting getting above your station. Uh, so you know, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt. But yeah, there's a lot of good people in the world that just like to help out and think that startups are exciting. Is it? Uh, it's interesting because that's another thing you just mentioned about how often, you know, sometimes it's our, our friends that, that shoot the friendly fire at us, you know, but is it, is it the in intentionality or is it the fact that their imaginations just can't get them there? You know, that their, their own perspective and imagination just can't get to where you are. So it seems like, uh, you know, scary to them, or it seems so foreign to them that they're, you know, they're, they're like, man, I, yeah, since and almost personifying it. So, well, I, I can't imagine myself doing it. So, why are you doing it? You know, type thing. I don't know if it's that. I think. I think there's, like, it's a it's a cool thing to do when it works, right? Like, you're your own boss. You're, yep. you know, you're now employing all these people. You're building really cool things. You're speaking in lots of engagements. You're, you know, you kind of have cred. Um, and I think, look, I think anybody, like everybody has their superpowers that they can bring. And most people, I think, could have a role in, in, in startups if they wanted to. I think it comes back to that covering the downside thing for a lot of people, mm, right? Like yeah. Some people choose to have a young family. They choose to prioritize security. They choose to provide. Um, and these are all like, you know, again, right? But going back to my family, like my mom and my dad have only ever provided that foundation for me to then me and my sister, you know, my sister runs a startup. Um, I run a startup. Our parents are both pretty trad, right? They're pretty kind of solid people. My mum's a nurse. My dad worked in like marketing in IT. Um, but like, there's nothing wrong with choosing the family life and prioritizing the people you love. It, right. Like being an entrepreneur, you have ego, you have narcissism. But I think like for a lot of people, especially your peers, there is the... The, mundan the mundaneness or the mundanity, I don't know what the right word is, of like doing the right thing by your family, for example. And if mm. you haven't covered the downside, it's really hard to then imagine going out and doing the startup stuff. And I think, you know, there is a bit of jealousy, but um, I kind of get it, right? And it's like, that could be me in a different life. You know, it could be any of us. Like, it, I think circumstance, like it comes back to that kind of one big tip, right? It's like, circumstance governs way more of our lives than we think like yeah. you know the, the the things in our life that are going on um 
have way more of an impact than our drive or our determination. So for me, it was just stripping everything down and lowering the friction. So it was like, why would I not do this? You know, I thought, look, I'm 30 years old. I'll do this for five years. I'll swing the bat. If I hit a home run, great. If I strike out, it's all right. There's, you know, there's still that life waiting for me. But some people don't have that opportunity to swing the bat. See, it's that, that American influence. I mean, you you said hit a home run instead of hit it for six. I mean, you know, you, yeah. you, you clearly, we've, we've been, we put our DNA into you. You can't get away from it. So yeah, you're, you will become one of game us. Anyways. <laughs> Cricket, you stand around for a whole day. You stand around for five days in a field. And could end like, in a tie. <laughs> yeah and you have a little tea break and a lunch break it's so who what who who has nothing better to do than watch five days of cricket go to the baseball Love get it. some popcorn get a hot dog you know, there's only nine <laughs> nine innings uh you know then you're done and we'll get to a winner eventually that's right we won't we won't quit playing until somebody wins that's that is so no true. draws so only true. wins josh this has been such a pleasure i i appreciate you know, just if nothing else, I appreciate the the idea that you just kind of cast vision for, you know, future founders that, you know, you almost have I'm on a T-shirt that says, why not, you know, why not try this? Why not do this? Reduce the downside, reduce the, the burn rate, you know, put yourself in the best position to succeed, but go for it, you know, at the end of the day. And, and uh, you know, what the worst case scenario, you, you have to go get a job at some point in time to to kind of offset those you know that that attempt but you know what uh what's the, the old quote something about I'd, I'd rather have tried and failed than i've never tried at all so uh it really theodore, is theodore roosevelt the man in the arena i encourage anybody to read uh yep. read that 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 passage for sure I, the other quote i that from that famous philosopher mike tyson the boxer when you were talking earlier i was thinking you know everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face so it's, uh, that is yep. the life of a founder well josh it's been a pleasure to chat with you today i really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, hope that you uh, can step into a great weekend there in the lovely city of london but just thank you for really taking time and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide josh have a great day thanks so much Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.